1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number 1. We're going to read all the way down to verse number 10. So if you haven't read your Bible this week, we're going to catch you up on your Bible reading. Because I believe the Lord wants to speak to us. Last week, we dealt with a particular topic. And without planning that way, the Holy Ghost led us to a particular principle. And we finished off our message dealing with purpose. We talked about serving. We talked about serving as a family, being a Christ-centered family. But at the same time, the Holy Ghost was bringing up a particular topic that I want to preach to you today about. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1, and it says like this, Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stumbling block and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they are also were appointed. So he's talking about the role that Jesus Christ came to establish and fulfill when he came to this earth. To some that received him, he became a chief cornerstone, an anchoring place, a foundation, a guide that was accepted. But to those that rejected him and didn't believe, he became a stumbling block. But then he goes on to say here, verse number nine, but you, now he's not talking about the disobedient. He's not talking about the ones that didn't receive Jesus and his, and his ministry. He says, but you who have are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy mercy. So what does all of that mean, preacher? I want to preach to you for a few moments from a very simple subject, living on purpose. Living on purpose. A lot of people live life and hope that things would happen, maybe by sheer luck or maybe even on accident. But through the word of God, we're seeing that God has called his people to live not only with purpose, but to live on purpose. Here in chapter 2, the apostle Peter tells us that we are to live our lives with godly purpose. In this context of scripture, it's purpose for the very reason of influencing those around us. How many of you know that God has put us in this earth to influence people and not simply be influenced? That we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are called to make an impact. We are called to make a difference. The world is not supposed to be impacting us. We're supposed to be impacting the world. The world and its culture should not be influencing me and how I live and, and the decisions that I make. On the contrary, I'm called to help influence those that are around me with a godly purpose. So ultimately, this speaks to us that life is not an accident. Life is a gift from God. All of us need to understand that with God, there are no such things as accidents. 
Before you and I were ever conceived in our mother's womb, the Bible says that God knew us. Let's look at that a little closer and see what the psalmist had to say in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. The psalmist is communicating and he's speaking directly to the Lord. It's almost like a prayer. He says, for you have formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. He said in verse 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame, he says, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. The psalmist is describing in this passage of scripture the development and the growth of a child in the womb of its mother. He's saying this is not an accident. Children are not accidents. You and I are not an accident. Well, preacher, my parents always told me that, that, I, that I, I shouldn't have been born. My parents always told me that I was unexpected. So, so I've always seen my life simply as that. Can I tell you, there are no accidents in God. You were designed by the creator. You were purposed to live out a particular assignment on this earth. So David describes the development of a child and he says of the Lord in verse 13, he said, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Can I tell you, each of us here today are the result of God's divine engineering. God knit us together in our mother's womb. This describes the weaving of the muscles and the sinews and the ligaments and the nerves and the blood vessels and the bone of the human frame. And so God allowed David to see how he would formed every single individual that would ever step foot on this planet. And so David sees God's handiwork. He sees God's intricate detail. And so the Bible says, and you can almost imagine that David's heart begins to swell with praise. And he says, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. He says, and for that my soul knows well. He says, I was formed with a purpose. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. Everything that you do, God, is marvelous. Everything you create, God, is beautiful. And because of that, I'm one of your hand-picked creations. And so I'll praise you. I'll worship you because you designed me with detail and intricacy. Listen to God's word to Jeremiah. When he calls Jeremiah to be a prophet, Jeremiah chapter one, verses four through five, Jeremiah says, in the word the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I don't know what you deduct from that passage, but I hear, I'm here to reiterate you're not an accident. Before you were ever born, God knew you. Before your mom ever knew your dad, God knew you. Before your family ever stepped foot on this planet, God knew you. And not only did he know you, but he gave you a purpose. He said, Jeremiah, I knew you before you were born. I sanctified you. I ordained you. I put purpose inside of you. I come to tell somebody, I don't know where you come from. I don't know your family background, but I can tell you one thing. You were born with a purpose you were chosen by God for a special assignment on this planet you're not here by accident you're not here by coincidence you're not sitting in this room by happenstance God chose you God selected you God ordained you to be here today 
Well, I'm just visiting preacher. I just, I just, nobody stumbles into a church. No one accidentally walks into the house of God. Everything in your life has led you to this moment. Everything has put everything in place that you could be here in God's house, in his presence, hearing his word. What, I'm, what am I trying to tell you? I want you to see and understand something today that our lives are not the result of an accident. Let me give you this. God formed and created us for a very special and unique godly purpose. That's why God formed you. He formed you with a special godly unique purpose. A purpose unique to you that only you could fulfill. I do this every once in a while, but why don't you take out your thumb and just go like this? Everybody, turn it around and look at that imprint on that thumb. Somebody said, man, my hands are dirty, huh? <laughs> my hands still smell like breakfast burritos. But did you know that there has never been or will ever be someone with that thumbprint? Did you know that? Your thumbprint can resemble somebody else's, but it's unique. No one that has ever lived or will ever live will have a thumbprint like that. You know what that tells me? I got a special assignment. I've got a unique purpose that God gave me that I've got to discover before I leave this planet. I've got to come to grips with the fact that God put me here where I am right now to fulfill a godly, unique purpose. I don't know about you, but that gives me a reason to be hopeful. That gives me a reason to be joyful. That gives me a reason to live my life with purpose and on purpose. So we can really live life one of two ways. We can live with no sense of purpose or direction in our lives, which ultimately will carry us nowhere. Or we can live our lives to the fullest, serving God's purpose and direction for our lives. This will answer the age-old question as to why am I here? I always make it very simple. You and I were put on this planet for two things. To know him and to make him known. That's it. Everything else is extra. Your house, that's extra. Your job, that's extra. The things that you're able to accomplish, that's extra. But God put you here on this planet so that you can know him. Know him for yourself. Know him in a personal way. And secondly, that you make him known to others. And unless I discover that and tap into that, life will be meaningless. Because you'll accomplish one thing and that won't satisfy you. So you got to go for the next thing. You'll think this square footage of your home will make you happy. And then you realize, I want more. This type of vehicle will be the one that I've always wanted. You get it and then there's still an empty feeling on the inside. I'll reach this level at my corporation, at my company, at my job. And then, then I'll feel like I'm somebody. And so you work so hard. You stress yourself out. You neglect your family. And you finally reach it. And you're still empty. I'm going to travel. I'm going to visit these places. And you go and you enjoy yourself. But then you got to come home. And you're still empty. So what is it, preacher? Why do I not feel fulfilled? Why is money not fulfilling me? Why are relationships aren't fulfilling me? Why are friendships not fulfilling me? Because you are not designed solely to accomplish and to gain in this life. You were put on this planet to know God in an intimate way. To discover the creator of the universe. And allow him to influence and impact your life. And when he comes into your life, then it's your responsibility to help other people know him. Am 
God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel like the light bulb is going on in somebody's mind right now. I get it now, preacher. I realize why I haven't been fulfilled. I realize now why I'm still empty. I got to know him. I got to discover him. I got to have an encounter with him. And then you live your life for him. Because when you're walking in your purpose, it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. You lay your head on your pillow and say, I'm walking in my purpose. I'm doing what God put me on this planet to do. And until you discover that, you'll be frustrated. I'm not just talking about to people that have never experienced the things of God. I'm talking to church people as well. You can be frustrated because you haven't discovered your purpose. And so I want to share with you today four words that I believe will help us to understand how we can live our life on purpose. Let me give them to you. Number one, if I'm going to discover my purpose, I need to, number one, eliminate. Someone say eliminate. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. Let's go back there and see what. The Spirit of God says through the Apostle Peter, he says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. The word eliminate, it means, if you define it, to cast out or get rid of or to set aside as unimportant. Strip off or to shake loose. See, a lot of times, on your way to your purpose, the important thing is not so much what you add on as it is what you take off. What you eliminate, what you let go of, it's part of what you do to discover your God-given purpose. There are things in my life that I don't need. There are people in my life that I don't need. There are activities in my life that I don't need that are not helping me, that are not contributing to God's purpose being fulfilled in my life. So maybe somebody here today, the first thing that you got to do is eliminate some things. This relationship is toxic. This friendship is influencing me in a negative way. This association with people that I have are drawing me away from God and from my purpose. This activity, this thing that I've been doing is, is not healthy or productive. So maybe I need to eliminate some things on my way to my purpose. And so the apostle Peter uses the word therefore. It's the very first word of this chapter. And he says that because it goes back to the fact that in the new life that we've received through the Lord Jesus Christ, once we've given our life to him, reveals to us that there is a new lifestyle demanded of the Christian. That once a person gives their lives to Jesus, they cannot remain as they were in their sin. That when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you give your life to him, there are some changes that God does. Unfortunately, the gospel that's being preached in, in, in this part of the world, we, they tell, tell you that everything that happens is only what God does. So you come to Jesus and he changes you, he does all this work, and then you don't have to do nothing. That's not the scripture that we just read. That goes against this gospel of convenience that's being preached in a lot of places. Well, you know what? God is the one that's going to change me, preacher. Yeah, but you got to start making better choices. Well, it's grace, pastor. That's at work in my life. You better believe it's grace, but you're also going to do a better job of choosing your friends. There are also some places that you shouldn't go. Is that okay to preach like that before... Is that all right before I get back into my message? There's some things that you shouldn't do. 
There's some activities that you shouldn't be involved in. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But God, yes, he draws me. Yes, he saves me. Yes, he justifies me. One day he will glorify me. But in this life, I also have to eliminate some things. So when I come to the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't remain in sin. There will be a difference in the life of a new believer. And as Christians and as children of God, we are to live a life that honors God and even loves people, according to the scripture, especially those of the household of faith. And so in verse one of chapter two, the apostle Paul lists five sins that we need to eliminate from our lives. The apostle Peter says, you know what? Jesus has saved you. He's filled you with his spirit. He's connected you to the church. He has a purpose that he wants to fulfill in you. You're chosen. You're selected. And because of this, you must eliminate these things. When you begin to discover who you are in God, you begin to realize there's some things that you don't need anymore. And so it's no longer a list that the church gives you. Well, pastor, if you just gave us a list of thou shalt nots, then we'll know what not to do. You know, just, just send me the PDF, pastor, into my phone, and, and I'll know what I'm not supposed to do. Some of you are so creative that you'll find ways around that list. You'll say, pastor, uh, you left out about seven things on your list. And so it's not about following a list of what the pastor approves of or what the apostolic church approves of. I'm sorry if it was painted to you that way, but that's not scriptural. There is no list of do's and don'ts because the areas that you struggle may not be the areas that I struggle. The temptations in your life may not be the temptations of my life, but what I am learning is when I discover who I am and how much he loves me and that I've got a purpose, I've got a calling, I've been sanctified, I've been ordained for something special. All of a sudden I realize I don't want to do that. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be a part of those things. It's an automatic thing that begins to happen. It's automatic. At least it should be. You start getting into your Bible and letting your Bible get into you. And all of a sudden, you'll go to places where you start feeling uncomfortable. You're like, wait a minute, man. This was my place. Everybody knows me here, but I don't feel comfortable. You start getting around some people that you used to hang out with that were your peeps. They were your fam. They were your circle. And so you get in that circle again, and all of a sudden, the conversations, the jokes, the things that they've been doing, all of a sudden make you feel, and you're like, what's going on? Why do I feel so uncomfortable? It's not that the pastor is telling you what to do or what not to do. It's not that the church has given you a list of things that you must adapt to and must adapt to your life. No, it's that the word is getting in you. The spirit of God is filling you. You're discovering, I've got a purpose. I've been chosen. I've got an assignment. I don't feel comfortable doing those things anymore. I don't feel comfortable living that way anymore. Why? Because I'm discovering I've got a purpose. God, I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. It's an automatic thing. My kids will start telling me things like, Daddy, this is not right, huh? And I'm like, yeah, you know that. That's not right. That's supposed to happen in the life of a new believer. They start saying, honey, this is not good for us anymore, right, huh? Yeah, it's not good. We shouldn't be around these kinds of things, right, honey? Huh? Yeah, I don't think, I just, I don't, I don't feel right. What happens? It's not because the pastor's telling you something. It's not because you're afraid someone's looking over your shoulder. It's that chosen people, sanctified people. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Anointed people, called people 
have places to be and things to do and an assignment to fulfill. And when it doesn't mesh with your assignment, when it doesn't connect with your purpose, you got to eliminate it. God, I'm not even in my notes here. Let me, let me get back. Let me get back. He says, lay aside these sins that Peter lists, and I'm not going to go through them extensively. Reveal a love for self. Here that, that Peter lists in verse number one, he gives us a list. They really show a love for self at the expense of others. Let's look real quick, real quick. I don't got time to get into it too much, but let's just real quick. He says, remove, cast off all malice. What is malice? Malice literally means meanness. It's an evil intent and ill will towards others. You desire bad things to happen to others. You don't want others to succeed. Why? Because you want to succeed at the expense of others. But guess what? We all can succeed. Isn't that amazing? Someone's like, no, we can't. Why do we think that we're the only ones that can succeed? Malice says, well, it has to be me and not you. And so it's an ill will. Peter says, cast all of that junk off. If you're a child of God, you're destined for victory. You're destined to succeed. And he says, cast off all deceit. And these things flow from malice. Deceit is a deliberate attempt to mislead someone with lies or half-truths for personal gain. Peter says, you're going to discover your purpose. If you're going to be what God's called you to be, you can't be deceitful. In other words, you can't be a liar and succeed. Half-truths are still lies. Misleading someone for your own personal gain, that's deceit. He goes on to say hypocrisy. This is the person that is acting the part while at the same time hiding his or her true motives or feelings. There's no room for hypocrisy in the life of someone that's fulfilling their purpose. We are who we are in church and we are who we are outside of church. I live this way when I'm at work. I live this way at home. I live this way when it's good. I live this way when it's bad. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a Thursday thing. I live for Jesus everywhere I go. I don't have a work me or a friends and family me and then a church me. No, we're the same. We live by the values that we live every day, everywhere we go. There's no room for hypocrisy, Peter says. And envy. He says, remove all envy. This is the strong desire to have what someone else has. Envy is a result of comparing ourselves with others. Why them and not me? Why are they here and I'm not there? That will destroy your life if you live your life comparing yourself to other people. To other family members, other co-workers, even other people in the church. It's not fair. You have an assignment and I have an assignment. I can't compare myself to you because I have my own assignment. You can't compare yourself to me because you have your own assignment. We're headed in different directions. We've got different roles and different responsibilities. So I can't envy you. You can't envy me. We've got our own unique purpose. Well, why them, pastor? They have their own purpose. Well, why that family and not our family? They have a, an assignment on their life and you have an assignment on your life. Don't compare yourself to people. Lift up your head and say, God, help me to do what you've called me to do. And the last one he gives is evil speaking. He says, get rid of it. This is backbiting and malicious, malicious gossip. Intended to slander the good name and reputation of others. 
It's done for the sole purpose of tearing people down and destroying a person. Peter says, when you've got an assignment on your life, when you've got a purpose, there's no room for evil speaking. There's no room to allow negativity to come out of my mouth. There's no room for me to slander someone or to put someone down. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know the pressures that they're dealing with. I don't know what the devil's been trying to do in their life. And so I'm just going to reserve my comments for myself and pray for them. Why? Because there's areas of my life that still need work. There's areas in my Christian walk that God is still trying to develop and mold and work in. So there's no room for evil speaking. All these sins are a violation of the fundamental commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. Peter is saying that we need to eliminate these things. But not only that, eliminate everything that hinders us from living a fruitful and productive life. None of these sins should have any place in the life of a Christian, especially a believer who's striving to live a life on purpose. We are to live our lives in obedience to God's holy word. And so if there's something in my life that's keeping me from my purpose, i got to eliminate it. If it's sin or not. Because I know some of these things are like, well, Pastor, you know, I don't struggle with those things. Well, you have other struggles. Eliminate those. Well, this isn't really all that bad. It's not a question of being bad. It's a question of, is it keeping you from your purpose? There are some things that I've had to eliminate in my life that there's absolutely nothing wrong with anybody doing them. But I can't do them because I've got a purpose. There are things that may not be a a hindrance for you that could be a hindrance from somebody else. And vice versa. The question is not, is it good or bad or sin or not? The question is, is it keeping you from fulfilling your purpose? Gosh, I wish I had more time to get into that. Let let, let, let me move forward because I'm just trying to help you today. Number one is eliminate. Number two, investigate. Someone say investigate. Somebody perked up their chair and said, now we're talking. I'm not talking about investigating other people. I saw a few heads go. Now you're getting into my arena, Pastor. You just missed the whole first point. Maybe we should rewind it and go all over again. What am I investigating? Look at verse number two and three. First Peter chapter two. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We need to investigate God's word. Oh, Lord. You want a manual on how to discover your purpose? I'll give it to you. It's called your Bible. Yeah, that thing that's collecting dust on the shelf that you got two Christmases ago. That app that you have like in the back of your phone. That has like 0% time on it every day. That's what we're supposed to be investigating. That's going to help you fulfill your purpose. That's going to help you find why God put you where he put you. We must investigate God's word to see what he says about our lives and his purpose for our lives. To investigate means to observe or study by close examination and systematic inquiry. The only way that a person will do a careful study of God's word or do an intense examination of God's word is to have a hunger for God's word. I had somebody ask me one time, they said, Pastor, how is it that you read the Bible, you get all that stuff out of it? And I read it and I fall asleep. I said, there's a difference. It's called hunger. Why is it that someone can go to a restaurant And they look like they're having the time of their life. And somebody else is there complaining about the waitress, complaining about the food, complaining about the service and the atmosphere. It's called hunger because when you're hungry, you don't care. 
When you're hungry, you don't care who else is in the restaurant. You don't care what the neighbor next to you ordered. You're hungry. So your attention is, what am I going to eat? When you approach the word of God that way and say, I'm hungry for the word. I'm not getting up from this table until God speaks to me. I'm not stopping my devotion until God shows me something that I've never seen before. Hunger elicits a, a close investigation. Hunger elicits an intense examination of the word. Oh, when you're hungry, you'll start seeing things that other people don't see isn't that true you go on a long trip and you're hungry and you're, you're driving a car obviously you try seeing in and out there's no in and out over there I could have sworn we passed a water burger there's a McDonald's right over there and the person's like I don't see it just, just get off right here you'll see it like, there it is how did you see that hungry people see things There has to be a McDonald's somewhere. You don't even have the map on you. Say, all right, let's figure it out. You make a left here. You make, I knew there's a McDonald's over here. I've seen it before. I've been to this neighborhood years ago. It's here. It's here. Hungry people will find what other people aren't willing to look for. Oh, you missed it. You missed it. You missed it. I'll say it again. Hungry people will find what other people aren't willing to look for. It's not that you're smarter. It's not that you have more skill. It's that a hungry person says, I'm going to get something out of my Bible today. I'm going to learn something today. I'm going to get something that's going to bless me and my family today. An intense investigation of the word comes from hunger. I'm just trying to help you because I discovered this a long time ago. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm definitely not the smartest person in this room, but I'm hungry. I'm hungry for the word. I just don't take it at face value. I just don't read the Bible. I read the Bible. I dive in and I look at it closely and I examine it on every side and I try to find something that will bless my life. And if it blesses my life, I know it will bless the church's life. Hungry people always have revelation. Hungry people always have an insight. Hungry people will discover what nobody else can. Why? He said, blessed are they. Jesus said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. God has shown me things in the word that I haven't heard anybody say. I don't say that as, as, as trying to lift myself up or make me to seem like I'm somebody that I'm not. No, 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 no. I've been through too much to do that. But God has shown me things in his word that I've not heard anybody say. You want to know where that comes from? Hunger. I sit down and I say, God, show me something today. Show me something. I've been to church all my life. I've read, I've read the Bible back and forth. I've studied so much of the scriptures already, but I still have a hunger for it. It hasn't gotten old to me. All my life hearing the word, it still hasn't gotten old. I still sit down and look at it and say, oh God, this is so good. I'm sitting there going, mm, my, wow. I've never seen that story like that before. Ooh, I've never noticed that individual in that story. Wow, it's because hunger, hunger brings it. I'm trying to elicit hunger in somebody today. I want somebody to leave this service and go find a table somewhere and say, Lord, talk to me like you talk to the pastor. Show me something in my Bible. I want to see you, Jesus. There's a purpose that I got to discover. Is there anybody hungry for the word? Look at somebody tell them I'm hungry. Be careful because I'm hungry and hungry people do crazy things. They'll, they'll cut you in line if they're hungry. Why? Because hungry people want what nobody else does. So it's not rocket science. It's not that we're in levels of spirituality and some of us have a closer ear to God. No, it's that some are hungry and others are not. I'm praying that in 2023, some of you get real hungry for the word. You say, Netflix, not today. Amazon, scrolling and shopping, not today. Not today. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, not today. I'm hungry. 
I'm hungry for his word. I just might not eat lunch today. I just might sit in my car at lunch break and just get into the word. And you want to know something? God says, you know what? You, you, you didn't eat your lunch today? I'm going to show you something in the word that's going to satisfy your soul and fill you like you've never been full before. That's what fasting does. That's what eliminating does. That's what setting things aside. That's what hunger does. Some of you know what I'm talking about today. Some of you know I can feel that many of you know what I'm talking about today. A hunger drove you one hour past and two hours past and three hours past and you didn't miss the other stuff that you used to do. Why? You're hungry and God's speaking to you and God's showing you. I feel the Holy Ghost. And so we are to have a desire for God's word. God's word has life, it gives life, it nurtures and sustains life. Therefore, anybody wanting to live a life of purpose should have an appetite for God's word. And Peter says, you know, he said, well, Peter, Peter's not talking about hunger and, and desperation. Yes, he is. Where is he talking about hunger? Again, you got to dive in and look a little closer. Let's look a little closer. You know what he says? He says, we should hunger for God's word as a newborn babe desires. That's the word he says. The pure milk. How does a newborn baby desire? They yell. They scream. You don't even have kids. You're just like, I think that baby's hungry. Single folks are like, yeah, I think that baby's hungry, right? They just, they just sound hungry. <laughs> Mom and dad go, you know what? Man, I think the baby's hungry. Why? Because they let you know. And Peter says, like a baby desires milk when it's hungry. You should desire the word the same way. That's why there's folks in this building right now that'll pop out of their chair like popcorn when the word's being preached Why they're hungry. That's why somebody will stand to their feet in the middle of the sermon. There's no music. There's no singing. There's nobody pumping them up. But they'll stand and lift their hands and lift their voice in the middle of the word. Why? They're hungry. Lord, give it to me. Pastor, preach it. Preacher, go ahead. I'm hungry. I came to church today with an appetite for the word. Is there anybody in the building that's hungry for the word? You may not want it. I'll take your portion. You don't want a revelation. I'll take it. You don't want a golden nugget of truth. Let me have it. I'm hungry. I've got an appetite for the word. You might have came because you just wanted to come. I came for a word. I came so God could talk to me. My family needs a word. My marriage needs a word. I'm at a place in my life where I need a word from God. And so Peter says, like a newborn babe, desires the pure milk of the word you should desire it that way why because when you partake of it you grow the more word you get into your life the more growth you need isn't that true mom and dad when you take your newborn baby for its first checkups after a month or so two or three months they start talking about their milk intake they're a little low uh, and their weight, so you need to give them a little bit more milk. Because the milk is directly connected to their growth, their health, and their sustainability. And so the word of God is the same for you and me. We need it for our growth. We need it for our health. And we need it for our sustainability. So if I'm not growing, there's a great chance I don't have enough milk have enough word in my life. I got a whole lot of Netflix, but not enough word. I got a whole lot of other stuff that I'm putting into my life, but I'm not growing in God. A message like this won't listen anything from someone that's not growing. Like, ah, oh, the pastor, he always screams every Sunday. He always gets all sweaty and gets all worked up. That's just a pastor. 
because I got lunch. You're not growing. You don't got enough word in you. I'm just talking about just Thursdays and Sundays. That's a good place to start. But I got to go home and open up my Bible and start reading the word and devouring the word. Having a heart for the word. Because if you don't have it, you're not going to grow. If you don't grow, you'll never discover your purpose. Why is it, oh gosh, that children don't want to eat? They don't want to eat for one or two reasons, usually. The first reason is they have already been filled up with junk food. They go to the Mexican restaurant and eat all the chips. And then when the enchilada comes and the taco, the tostada comes, the burrito comes, I'm not hungry, Dad. Of course not. You had two baskets of chips. <laughs> is that just the Romo house? Let's pray for us. That's the Romo house. Somebody says, that's my husband. No, 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 no. We're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. We leave that alone. Children won't eat sometimes because they already filled up with junk food. Another reason they don't eat is because they don't like what's being served. Oh, this is getting good. This is getting good. Can I say it, church? Can you give me permission to say it? Even if you didn't, I'll still say it anyway. The reason some people don't partake of the word is because they're filled up with junk food. Something that they found on YouTube, something that they found somewhere else, something that they discovered somewhere else, something the world is offering them. And so you get filled with junk food that when the word is being taught, when the word is being explained, I don't want it. Yeah, because you're filled with junk food. And then there's times where people are like, I don't want it. Why? Because you don't like it. But it's good for you. So chew and swallow. But I don't like spiritual veggies. Just chew them and swallow. They're good for you. You're deficient in your iron. You're deficient in your faith. You're deficient in your perseverance. You're deficient in your growth. So I'm praying that something happens inside of somebody that says, I'm just going to stop eating the junk food of the world. I'm going to eat what God is serving me because it's going to nourish me. It's going to help me. It's going to cause me to grow. In order to grow and be healthy, we have to have a balanced diet. We can't expect to be strong in our faith if all we feed on is junk food. We're conditioned to two-minute clips of a message or of a sermon. You need more than that to sustain your spiritual life. You can't live off of watching reels of a sermon. Oh, pastor, you should hear this. That was powerful. Did you hear the whole message? Or you just grabbed the YouTube clip that everybody's sharing on social media. What a word. There's 66 of them that God wants to show you, give you your own revelation, give you your own understanding. Open up the book and partake of the word, as Peter says, that you may grow thereby. I got to hurry. I'm running out of time. We are to desire, Peter says, the pure, someone say pure, the pure milk of God's word. We are to desire and long for the pure, unadulterated word of God. The word pure here in other translations is actually translated sincere. That literally means without mixture. There's nothing else in it but just word. We are to desire the word of God without the mixture of men's thoughts and opinions. I got to be careful what I'm partaking of. I got to make sure it's the pure, unadulterated word. I don't want an opinion. I want a word. I don't want what someone taught you. I want a word. I want to see what the word of God says. I want you to explain it to me with the word. So that you can grow up spiritually and Peter says that can only happen if you indeed have tasted that the Lord is gracious why do people go back to a restaurant because it's good 
And so Peter is saying, you, you can have this kind of hunger if you've tasted him and you know how good he is. Because when you've partaken of the goodness of God, you want more. When you come into God's presence and he fills you and he touches you and he lifts the burden off your shoulder, you say, that's good, I want more. But when you haven't partaken of it, you don't know what you're missing. And that's why there's a world around us of people with access to the same Bible you and I have, with access to the house of God like you and I have, but they don't want it. Why? They've never partaken of it. They don't know what they're missing. So you're in my job. It's not only to partake of it, it's to share it with somebody else. I come here and God touches me. That's good. I come here and God fills the voids of my heart. That's good. I come and receive the word and I begin to grow. That's good. But then the next step is you got to share that with somebody else. You got to tell a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, or somebody how good God has been to you. I'm going to give you the other two another time. Is that all right, church? We are to grow up spiritually. The musicians will come. You have tasted and found that the Lord is good. Therefore, nothing else will satisfy your hungry soul. And so we go from eliminate taking some things out of my life. And we move into investigate. And now that is adding on something to my life. Hunger for the word. A desire for the word. Get a Bible reading plan. Maybe read the New Testament in 90 days. Find a way for you to get into God's word. Get a study Bible. You say, Pastor, when I, I commute in the mornings, I got a long commute, and get the audio Bible going. But you got to get the word of God somehow into your life. Because it's affecting your growth. And ultimately, what I'm trying to get to here today is that it's affecting you fulfilling your purpose. The word of God is the owner's manual. You ever want to figure out how something works? You ever want to fill out, figure out the intricacies of a certain object or item that you've purchased? You got to go to the manual. You got to see where the manual is. You got to go through and find out what makes it tick. You find the purpose of the object, the electronic, whatever it is, by opening up the manual. It's the same with our purpose, our assignment in life. If I want to find out how I'm supposed to be working, what makes me tick, why I am the way that I am, why I need to be doing what God's called me to do, I've got to open up the manual. Say, Lord, speak to me. How does this work? How does this prayer thing work? How does this living holy thing work? How does this being dedicated to God, how does that work? You open up the manual and you begin to read in the Word of God. Start in the New Testament. Don't start in Genesis, start in Matthew. Start reading about the life of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. Oh, that's a wonderful place to fall in love with the word. And guess what? The more you read the word, the more you're going to want to read it. You won't be able to put it down. You'll be finding time throughout your day to get into the word because you can't wait to get back to what God is telling you. That's when hunger begins. And when hunger begins, God starts satisfying that hunger. God starts fulfilling that hunger. And all of a sudden you have things and treasures and nuggets of the scriptures that other people don't have. Not because you and I are more special. No way. It's that hunger. Hunger will drive you to do things that other people aren't willing to do. Would you stand with me today? I didn't intend to just give you two. I didn't intend to give you all four points, but I'll come back and we'll give you the other two. But I just feel like the Holy Ghost. We, we struck something in the spirit today. We hit a vein in the spirit today. God is speaking to us 
that we need to have an attitude to investigate the word. To memorize. Oh, memorizing the word is a beautiful thing. Oh, man, it's so beautiful. Because when you memorize the word, it's always there. Say, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the river's waters, who brings fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does, prosper. We memorize the word gets here and it gets here and you'll be able, you're able to call it out when you need it hunger someone say hunger that's what's going to separate the men from the boys and the women from the girls in this last hour is hunger I'm not asking you how long you've been in the church I'm not asking you how long you've been baptized or how long you've been back I'm asking you do you have a hunger for the word because in the church, for being, being there for some time, you can lose your hunger if you're not careful. And it just becomes, ah, the pastor, that's just the way he is. Ah, forgive my pastor, you know, he's just like that. All of a sudden it becomes familiar. It becomes same old, same old. But when you're hungry, even leftovers are good. Isn't that true? I love leftovers. I'm a leftover guy. And when you're hungry, Brother Louis, they're even better. Reheated, whatever you got to do. That pasta is just as good the next day, Brother Jay. And the pizza, in my opinion, is even better the next day. Oh, Pastor, that's gross. It's because you're not hungry. Well, I only eat certain things. Okay, well, some of us are hungry. And in my house, you eat what's served. That's how I was raised. You don't get options. There's no menu. Well, I didn't want this. So I eat it anyway. Okay, mom. That's how I was in the Romo house. And that's how it should be in God's house. Well, I expected a different message today. Wow. <laughs> kind of disappointed. Well, I bet you someone here got something. <laughs> How do you know? Because in every crowd, there's hungry folks. And they go home and they devour it. And they sit at the table and say, I'm going to dig into that scripture that pastor was reading. I'm going to dig into that story a little bit more. I'm going to jump ahead in those verses so I can know where the pastor's going next. There's a hunger. There's a thirst. Do you have that kind of hunger? Would you lift up your hands to heaven right now for the Holy Ghost? And if you're truly hungry for the word, would you lift up your voice and say, Lord, I'm hungry for you. Maybe there's somebody here that wants to develop a hunger for the word. Could you lift your hands and say, Lord, I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to have that kind of hunger. I want that hunger the pastor's talking about. I want that hunger that that brother, that sister has for the word. I, I want to have that kind of hunger. There's a purpose I got to fulfill. There's an assignment on my life, Lord. I've got a hunger. I'll investigate the scriptures. I'll div, dive in. I, I'll get another Bible. I'll get a commentary. I'll, I'll get another book. I'll do something. But I'm hungry for the word. I'm hungry. There's a hunger building up in somebody right now. Come on, just a few more minutes. There's a hunger building up inside of somebody right now. There's a mom and dad that's developing a hunger for the word right now. There's a new convert, a new believer. Says, I, I, I want to have that kind of hunger. I, I want to dive in deeper to the word. I want God to speak to me. I want God to show me things. I, I want to investigate the word. Ooh, if you feel that way today, come and stand here at this altar. There's, gonna, there's a hunger being released in this room right now. Come and stand here in the front if, the, if that's what you desire. If you want to become a student of the word, if you want to become an investigator of the word, come and stand here at this altar because something's going to be transmitted to you today. Some of you are going to look at your Bible differently after this service. Someone's going to get revelation to the scriptures.
It's no secret. There's no secret book that the pastor finds these messages in. There's no secret library somewhere that God speaks to preachers. No, 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 no. It's that when you're hungry, you start seeing things. Isn't that right, Pastor Rusi? There's no special library. You just dive in and God starts talking to you and God starts showing you things. That's how it works. It's a hunger. We need to have leaders that have hunger for the word. We need ministers and ministers' wives and deacons and deacons' wives with a hunger for the word. We need the church, average church member here in this church. You've got to have a hunger. You've got to develop a hunger for the word. Squeeze into this altar. Those are here in the front, move up a little bit more forward. Something's going to happen in this room today. Something's going to walk out of here with a hunger for God's word like you've never had before. Maybe you're visiting here today. And you're saying, preacher, I'm new to this church stuff. I'm going to pray that God also gives you a hunger for the word. I'm praying that you won't be able to sleep the same without opening up your Bible and getting into the word of God. I'm going to pray that throughout your day, God give you reminders. Get into your Bible. Get into the word. I want to talk to you. I want to show you something. I want to take you down a road you've never been before. That happens when you become an investigator of the word of God. Well, a student of the word here at this altar, would you lift up your hands to heaven? Would you close your eyes? There's a hunger that's going to be released over this altar area right here. In this sanctuary, those watching at home.